Welcome to the Concierge CPA. I'm Jackie Meyer, founder of the Concierge Accountant Program and Tax Ben IQ Software. This is a podcast for accounting firm owners and influencers who are pursuing world-class service. We discuss their path to excellence, their daily habits, and what influences them and their work. We believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world. Stick around till the end of the show. We'll reveal how you can be our next guest in 15 to 20 minutes. Let's go, y'all. Welcome to the Concierge CPA Podcast. This episode of the Concierge CPA was brought to you by Jordan Sublet at Cloud Accounting Staffing. Visit cloudaccountantstaffing.com and hire CPAs in the Philippines. Today, I have Scott Scarano, a.k.a. Scotty, a.k.a. OKR, a.k.a. What am I going by these days? I don't know. I got a lot of AKAs. You can call me Scotty. Call me OKR. I used to be a little toddler. Awesome. So Scott's here. Scott and I met, I don't know if it was even more than a year ago in person at a conference and really just hit it off. Both really like diving into deep topics together and not messing around with the BS, right? And yeah, we're just like besties. It was in Toronto and neither of us are from Canada, but we met in Toronto. So Scott, tell everyone a bit about you and your background and all the crazy stuff you have going on. I'm rapping now, so there's that. That's why I have so many AKAs. I got different rap personas. I am currently in Boston, and I'm going to be performing two raps at Botkeepers Conference, AI Unchained. So that's what I always go to first. That's the first thing I talk about, because that's where I get to mix my passion and love for music. And I've done more than just raps lately. I've done Red Hot Chili Peppers. So I get to mix the music stuff with accounting, and that's so much fun. So I finally found the thing that really lights me up day and night because I love accounting too. I love the numbers, but man, I love music. So this has been so much fun. It's such a thrill ride. When I met you, I think I had just finished the Fresh Books rap that I was doing and we were traveling around. I was performing those and it was like my practice too. And now I've performed at three different shows, three different conferences this year. Super cool. Well, I wanted to talk to you about this because I just had Randy Crabtree on and he did a debrief of his conference and we were teasing the audience about maybe getting our hands on a little special edition clip of your rap video. Is it public? It's not public yet. I've released on my Twitter and on the LinkedIn, the speaker shout outs part of it. That was like my opus or like the first video that I took where we had specific scenes that we were shooting. And I modeled it off of the original. So it was still a parody of the original Red Hot Chili Peppers. And I also did a parody of a parody because it was also a weird Al Yankovic parody of the Chili Peppers. So I took the baseline of those two videos, which were parodies of each other. One was a parody of the other. It was the same. Without going too deep, I had a shoot. We spent two hours shooting in San Francisco. There was five of us all in the video. Everybody's a different Red Hot Chili Pepper and Randy's just being Randy. It was so much fun to film that. And then I did another one immediately after that in Denver during the tax Twitter conference or the tax Twitter retreat. That one was more of a anthem. That was the tax accountants anthem that we filmed. And I had maybe 30 or 40 tax accountants all in the video, similar to DMX's Rough Riders anthem video for that one. So I modeled off of that and 
it was awesome. It was amazing. So neither of those videos have been fully released yet. We're going to start doing some like exclusive releases at Accounting High. So stay tuned for that. We could talk about that today too. He me in the loop because I think my listeners want to hear it. So I didn't know about the retreat and I just had Mary and Brian on to give me a debrief about the retreat too. We talked all about diversity and inclusion topics and stuff like that, but we didn't get into this amazing rap experience. So that's really neat. It was a low-key filming there. We haven't revealed it yet. It was a lot of fun. So in the middle, after the diversity section or after the diversity talk in between sessions, everybody came out. We all wore accounting high shirts that were made specifically for the video. And we had a lot of fun. Everybody got into it. I told everybody it would feel awkward because it does. It's like when you're trying to film a video, it's not really going to look or feel the way it is while you're filming it. So they had a lot of fun with it. Everybody was doing like different things in the background and letting loose. And it was just a really good time. So you'll see that when the video comes out. It was fun. You know, what would be really cool is like a dance mob at one of our conferences. Have you ever done that? Oh, that could be a good music video. That would be awesome. We could plan something like that. Up and I miss it so much. If I had been anything I wanted to be, it would have been like a backup dancer to Janet Jackson. That states how old I am or how old we are, right? Yeah, no, I know. But that's the thing. You could probably incorporate dance. So there's the dancing accountant, Nancy. Dancing Nancy is what I call her. But she does that. And I heard her story at Randy's conference because she said, I had to meet you. You're the rapping accountant. I'm the dancing accountant. And I don't call myself the rapping accountant. I call myself OK Rapper. And I was listening to her story and it was so similar to what I'm going through and currently what I'm doing that I think a lot of people could have felt this way about something that they've always wanted to do in their life. For her, it was go dancing. And so she had wanted to do that her whole life, be a go-go dancer. And then she was 39, turning 40. And she's like, if I don't just do this now, I'm never going to do it. So she bought all the go-go dancing stuff. I don't honestly don't even know what go-go dancing is, but it's now it's really cool that I've seen her outfits and stuff and it looks super cool. But she just leaned into it and then she applied it to what she was doing creatively. And she's the dancing accountant. It's such a cool story because that's kind of backed into the same thing with the rap stuff. Yeah. So what's Nancy's last name? I'd have to look it up. I'm going to find her and tag her in the show notes because I need to meet this Nancy. She sounds amazing. Yeah, you got to. Now, for people that may not know, Accounting High is a podcast that you're pretty much killing it with. Y'all... It's gotten so big that you're even breaking it into kind of these like sub shows throughout the week. Tell the viewers about that. I wouldn't say it got so big that we had to do that. I'm saying we're doing that to keep the focus. It's part of turning it into a platform that's bigger than just a show. It's always started as the show was leading to what is the brand going to be? And so we've been brand building for the past year, just expanding through different things. So we did a tournament. That isn't really on any platform. We built out the tournament from scratch during March, during tax season, the busiest time of year for accountants. We decided to throw a tournament that got everybody involved. And similar to March Madness, we did 64 different apps and people and things in the accounting space and everybody voted until we got to the final four. Tons of fun. We'll do that again next year. But that was part of like the coming out party of the brand Accounting High. It's a school. It's more than just a show. So with these five new shows, we took the five aspects or core components of accounting, of a practice, of running a business, and split those out into five separate series or classes or hallways, so to speak, at Accounting High. Nothing to really do with the tournament, but everything to do with the tournament. It's all interrelated because it's at the school. So our five courses, Mondays, 
are going to be the accounting high guide, like the guidance counselor type and feel as far as school is concerned. For the listeners, this is the big stuff. This is find your North Star type talk, mission, your vision, the purpose, the atomic habits, the fundamentals, the things, the broader profession, the big things. Basically, that's Mondays. Tuesdays is going to be tech time where we talk about your favorite stuff, AI, automation, technology, tools, and how that can save you time, all the neat things. But that's the kind of stuff that you'll see on Tuesdays. Wednesdays is operational talk. So it's shop operations. So we talk shop about systems and processes, basically. That's shop operations at Accounting High. Thursdays, social studies. It's branding, personal brand. It's marketing. That's all getting out there on the socials. All that talk, all those conversations. And Fridays is where we wrap it all up with some tips, varsity tips on how to wrap, how to run a practice. But I like throwing the wrap stuff. That's sales. That's practical how-tos for practice owners putting all of it together, threading it all together and the course material type stuff that takes you into the weekend. So that's what we're doing. They're all going to be separate channels, separate colors, separate days. YouTube, it'll still be all out of Counting Hive. That's one thing we're working on. We're working on lots of things, but all this stuff takes time. As I've learned, it all takes a lot of time. You're a huge visionary. So you kind of chase a lot of shiny objects like I do as well. So I get it. But I guess people may not know how you even got into all this because you are an accounting firm owner yourself. You have a very successful firm. That's how our conversation started. We were talking about the practice and I was at that stage that you were at with yours where you finally decided, I'm not going to sit on two bar stools anymore and try to do all these different things. I'm going to sell my practice. That's the decision you made. I never made that decision. I still have my practice because it's still providing me the comfort and the finance and the security that I need to be able to experiment and do all these other fun things. If I sold my practice, then I would feel like I would need to do things for money. I would need to start doing things for a consistent source of revenue. And right now I'm doing it for the purpose of sharing the information. And for me, it's more of fulfillment to be able to do it just for the purpose of impact than to try to financially fit it. Don't get me wrong. I want to turn this into something that can make money. But I think that also takes time too, because I want to do it the right way. You know, we're building a brand, building a school, and I don't know what we're going to sell because I don't want to sell the information. I don't believe that you should be sitting in the classroom to learn. I feel like everybody learns from doing. And so this school is sort of like the anti-school. You're learning in the hallways. You're not necessarily learning in the classroom. This is the kids in the back of the room still talking, having their own conversations, learning stuff. Yeah. But... You miss the part where you don't work that much in your firm. Oh, I never talk about that. Yeah, it is very profitable and very successful. So we did just do a full episode on that on Earmark. I would love to talk about that stuff too, because I don't talk about it enough and I should. In my practice, I'd gotten down to the four-hour work week modeled by Tim Ferriss's book. You don't hear about a ton of accountants that have been able to do that, and you have. So how did you get there? So key components or steps along the way is first and foremost, trust and being able to trust your people, not them trusting you. They won't trust you if you don't trust them. Trusting people to make mistakes, people to fail. Me getting out of the way was the only thing that allowed me to have the ability to do all these other things and for the firm to run itself was for me to stop caring about how things got done. You know, we had to set up the systems and the processes and everything in place to run, but I had to stop going in there and tinkering with them and changing everything. Things were working. Everything still is working just fine. And they like that stability. My team does. When you grow or when you're involved with everything and everything's always crazy, 
you lose people too, because they can't put up with it. They can't stick around through all the change and they're going to go do something else while you're figuring your stuff out. I kept going through phases like that where we would grow, we would hit ceiling and then I want to change stuff. And then I would always be connected to everything going on in the firm. It wasn't until I got forced out, not forced out, but during COVID accidentally on purpose, I got to really experience it running without me when I was in Mexico and we didn't go back during COVID. We stayed in Mexico. We have a house there. And so the firm was still running and everybody went home and they started working from home. I was in Mexico for four months while everything was getting sorted out here because nobody could leave. Some people were still going to their offices, but I wasn't there. So I said they could work from home. They had the ability to do that. They used to do it once or twice a week. So why not just test this out and say how it would go long term? I don't think I would have done that if I was at the office or if I was in the States at the time, I probably would have went to the office because that's what I prefer to do. But I wasn't there. So it was a really big test on how things work. But everybody's working from home at the time. So it didn't feel like I was taking any big risk because I'm very risk averse. I do risky things. It may seem like that, but usually it's very calculated. And I'm doing something because I think there's a very high success rate. So that was working out really well. But I still felt like I should have been doing something. I felt guilty. All this work is getting done. Everything's happening. And I'm not doing any of it. I didn't feel like I was having any impact on anybody. And so I started doing a podcast because I needed an outlet. And so that's how all that came to be. I just wanted to talk to people and have conversations or do something with my days because I wasn't needed anymore. Everything was running without me. They were making decisions and I was somewhat comfortable with all of it. But as we continued to do it, I started to realize where I was getting in the way. And it was me getting in the way of myself too. I would always want to change things and make them better. I always thought that there was something wrong with something. And this person's doing it better than we are. We should change the way we do this because look at the success they're having. And I just always look to others to get the validation for our firm. And I didn't realize everything we were doing was actually really good. It was just fine. May not be the same as everybody, but no firm is the same. So once I started to accept that and get out of the way, I realized I do have something that's pretty special, but that's because my team has the power to run it and they don't feel like I'm looking over their shoulder. The things that they're doing, the actions that they're taking without me, are probably the things that I would have done anyway, in most cases, because they've learned over the years too. You know, I think the best leaders are the ones that kind of step aside and let things run their course, let them run without them. I've seen that along the way through all my travels, through different firms that I've visited or I've talked to. The most successful ones are the leaders that empower their people to continue to grow and to develop their own skill sets because everybody has ambitions. Everybody has things that they want to continue to fulfill in life, whether it's outside of work or even within work whether they want to make more money or they want more freedom to do other things that they want. And when you find out what those drivers are, you can really guide a person to make other decisions in their life based on what they value, not just what they think they should do. It's not just about making money for a lot of people. They could work and get a lot of fulfillment, not have to grow professionally because they're off doing other things too with their life. So they want to have that balance and that freedom. One of my operations manager, he hunts. He loves to hunt and he goes on like these week-long hunting trips certain times of the year. Not my thing, but man, he loves it. God, I would get so bored. I could not sit still quiet for that long. It'd be torture. But that's why we complement each other pretty well because he always picks up the things that I can't do, that I don't do. You always have to have somebody. So it was EOS too that I was able to unlock that. You're dancing around this concept of you're the visionary. You have this operations person you got that is essentially become your integrator? Yeah. So when we first started doing EOS about six years ago, maybe seven at this point, six years ago, I think, I saw that accountability chart and that idea of it. We didn't even have our accountability chart done. I just saw what it could look like 
And I saw that there's that one role. I said, that's the role I want. That's all I want. I don't want to do these sales stuff anymore either. Like, I don't want to do any of these things. I was doing everything in the accountability chart at that point. You had to have my name in almost every single accountable role because that's where the buck stopped. Every decision was being made. And I was the one who was supposed to be held accountable for it. Once I stopped and relinquished certain things, then I felt like I wasn't being accountable to anything, but I got what I wanted. And then I didn't want it anymore. Or I was complaining. By the time I talked to you last year, I'm like, I don't do anything in the firm. I was at a loss. I didn't, I didn't know what it meant to just be the visionary seat because I still felt like I should be doing something. I felt guilty. I was making more money and I'm making more money now than I ever was when I was working. There's a certain guilt about that too. So I'm paying my people good. They're all getting paid really well. Comparatively, they all get paid more too, but so am I. So why do I feel guilty? I'm starting to reckon with that though. I'm starting to feel better about that. I went through the same thing. I think any business owner, and especially with technical accounting firms, I'm sure anyone listening is like, oh yeah, I remember when I was in every single box in my firm, or maybe they still are, right? And it is really tough to go from like micromanaging all of that stuff to the pure concept of visionary, which is really, you're not actually managing anything. You're just giving your input making sure everyone's happy, giving some cultural stuff. I felt like when we implemented EOS that I was like the crazy grandma once they put me in a visionary role. They were throwing me in a retirement home and they're like, yeah, we love your ideas, but just stay out of it. That's the mindset though. Once you get that we mindset and everybody's rowing in the same direction, everybody's working toward the same thing. And I don't think I'm fully there yet too. I still refer to my team as them and what they're doing. I still don't say we as much as I've seen others that are very successful. And they always say we whenever they refer to what they're doing. And it's not just what they say, it's their actions and how the team is growing and how the team is off doing things too. And the visionary is still part of that, but they're off doing their own thing as well is what I've noticed and the ones that are doing it successfully. So I think that's where we have had a hard time because we've always seen that as they're doing this and you saw yourself as the grandma and I was just guilty over there in the corner. I know they didn't want my input on things, but that was my mindset too. I think they did want my input on some stuff and they still did value that, but I took it as all or none. I could either be all in on all this or I could go do something else and give all of my ideas and focus into something else. And that's what I ended up doing, but they're still successful and they still have something that works and it's working for all of them. It's working for me for sure. What are you doing, if anything at all, in regards to the firm? Do you attend any meetings? Yeah. So most of the meetings is me talking about my raps or any meeting that I'm in is when I get a chance to talk, that's all I'm talking about. Whatever new rap I'm on, I want them to listen to it. I need some feedback and all that. And then they'll start talking about some work stuff and they may ask my opinion, but typically if they ever need me, it's outside the meetings and it's just me to connect them with somebody or like, we need somebody that could possibly solve this. Or do you know anybody in your network that could do this? So that's typically what they need me for. But when it comes to bigger financial decisions, I'm still the one, I'm still the only owner. We are talking about them buying into some equity. I've always said, you guys could just buy the whole thing, but they don't want that. They still want me around. They still want to work with me because I'm still the guide. I still am that Monday's person, that North Star. So how big is your team and was it really getting the integrator in that really you think propelled y'all to this like ultimate profitability? Yeah. So the ultimate profitability was when I decided we're not going to grow anymore. We're not going to grow top line anymore. 
we're going to grow internally. You guys are going to grow as people. I'm going to grow as a person, but we're going to grow our bottom line. That's what we're going to grow. We're going to focus on that. And I'm an accountant. So I know how to cut costs. We were already thin on spending. Our margins were still decent, but we were just overstaffed. At a certain point during COVID, when I stepped out and I wasn't doing sales, we hired people and I pulled a bunch of clients in. We couldn't handle all the onboarding. We couldn't even fill up their capacity. At a certain point, things weren't working like that. So we were not able to grow with me being out. I would have to be in if we were going to grow as a firm. So we started contracting. I let go of two people. It actually worked out great in the end because they were not dead weight to say, but they were pulling away resources rather than contributing. And they were people that we just tolerated. At this point, I'm like still in it. I'm still doing sales. I'm still getting in the way of some stuff, but we were making money. We were losing money for a little while and I'm panicking. I'm like, I'm not involved. You guys don't have to pay me, but we're still losing money. How is that even possible? And we just looked at it objectively. Like we don't need this person. Like this role doesn't exist anymore for front office. Like we had somebody that used to sit at the front office and after COVID, we don't have the expense of an office and we're still losing money. Why do we have a front office person? All that administrative stuff is not needed as it used to be. We were trying to find a way to fit her in, but we could. So it was a sad thing that we had to let somebody go, but we didn't need it anymore. That was solved. That was a full salary. But then we had somebody else that we were paying full time. I think that was like 90 or 80. And this person was a drag on resources for everybody. We just put up with it because everybody's friends with him. Everybody likes him. We still like him. We still get along with the guy, but he was just terrible. So it all worked out in the end. Everybody got more work done. All of a sudden we realized how much we could start outsourcing now. We lost two people after we let two people go. And we started backfilling a lot of that work in the Philippines because we already had one person there. Why not give them more work, give them more responsibility? So we delegated out all of the processing to the Philippines. Now we have four team members in the Philippines and we have five in the U.S. At one point I had 12 in the U.S. We have five in the U.S. We're doing more top line because we can handle more work. They're better employees anyway. All across the board, our team in the Philippines has been better than most of our U.S. employees. So real fast with this analysis of a couple people that really didn't fit in anymore, was that through like the EOS people analyzer, the get it, want it capacity thing? No, because we would ignore that. It was totally separate. It was only because we were losing money. We would see this is what we're supposed to do with EOS in theory, but we would never take action on that so hard. But it was that moment when we had to let two people go that I really trusted my team. And that was the pivotal point where the keys got handed over and I knew I could let this run because the way they took that decision and leadership that they showed during that time to let two people go and they took it on themselves to do it. And it wasn't because I was being a coward or I didn't want to do it. It was because that was the role. That was what it called for. When you're talking about this accountability chart, I can't come in and do these things for you guys now. And it was through looking glass kind of situation. On the other side, everything was different. Mindsets were different. Everybody's working toward the same thing. Everybody's working together. We feel like we're all in this together and we're still losing people along the way, but the core people that we still have and that we've always had, they're happy. Everybody's happy. Nobody's chasing something. Nobody's looking for other things outside of it. I'm not chasing anything in there anywhere. So it's safe. It's stable. It's peaceful. They like peacetime. I like wartime. I like chaos. And now I get to have that. I get to have that with accounting high. So this integrator, was he already with you? And what was his role before? Great question. We didn't know he was an integrator. When he first started with me, this was like 12 years ago. I think he's been with me 12 or 13 years. He just wanted to do taxes for a season because he was in school for like real estate and business. And he just wanted to understand that aspect of business and finance. 
And then he started to like working with the businesses. He became one of my best employees. And this was at the time where we were still really early stages growing. I didn't own the business when he first started. I was just running everything for the owner that was absent. And that owner was absent. He empowered me to pretty much do everything. And I bought it from him. I don't know what we saw as the future, but it worked out. We worked well together. I, he was friends with some of my friends in high school too. So we knew each other already. We just worked really well together. And, and it was all a lot of unspoken stuff. We didn't understand why or what it was until we started doing EOS. We did the rocket fuel book and the quizzes in there. And when he filled it out, he saw his purpose. He saw his calling. He saw he's the integrator. That's how he's always felt. And then the visionary thing was obvious for me. That was already a given. I've always been like this, but it validated me because I always felt like I was different. I always felt like I needed to conform or I needed to do things or be more like the people around me because I was so vastly different, but meeting people and doing my podcast and I saw me being different as an advantage because it is. My first song I did was called CP Aliens because it was from AT Aliens, Outcast, and they were different. They were so different in rap and music, Andre 3000, everybody knows who he is now. But then it was like, this was different. This was entirely different than anything else out there, but I loved it. And it was something that I really connected to. And it's the same thing with anything. There's always an audience for everybody for anything. And there's always somebody that cares about what you're doing. And there's always somebody it's going to resonate with. And it's not until you start acting differently or acting like yourself, because everybody's different. Everybody has that dancing thing or being a backup dancer or being a rapper or being a go-go dancer. It's all of those things humanate who we are, whatever those experiences are. And if we start showing that we're different, we start seeing more people like us. And it wasn't until I did something at Carbon X in June last year or 2021, one of those years, might've been 2021. And I was on stage and I was just me. I had my hat backwards. I had a graphic shirt on. It was a Game of Thrones shirt, but Carbon said it was aggressive. And I was like, I don't feel like changing. I don't want to put on a Carbon shirt. And so I went up there like, just being me. And I had a great conversation with Stu. But then later in the day, somebody pulled me aside and he said, dude, that was so awesome. You're wearing your hat. He's like, and I realized everybody in there is wearing suits and stuff. And this guy was wearing a hat and he's like, I saw you wearing yours. So I went up to my room and went and grabbed mine. And it was so cool. Like that interaction happened and I still didn't think that much of it. But then I started seeing it more and more in different places. This is how I feel comfortable. This is how I would dress when I was in high school anyway, or in my life. And now I don't have to put on this polo shirt or be this other person and do these other things. I could just be me and everybody's still okay with that. That was a huge unlock. And it was a huge turning point to realize now if I could do that, what if I did take a stab at trying to rap? If I could just act like a rapper and that's cool. People are cool with that. What if I actually did it? And that was the real ride when I first wrote that first one because it took me forever and I wanted to be perfect. I wanted to be really good. And I could have stopped at the early stages of it and it was good enough and performed it or showed somebody, but I wanted it to be really good. So I worked and worked on it. And that's what I do with every single one of these now. And I still do. And it's like perfection is the enemy. That's what everybody says. But it's like a gift and a curse because this one I'm going to perform tomorrow. It's dope. It's special. It's really good. I spent 10 full days just doing that. That's all I did. It's all I focused on. I probably could have spent two days on it. It would have been fine but I still had to put the other extra eight days in. I've always done that kind of stuff. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so you've interviewed a ton of people on your podcast. How many people do you think you've interviewed in our profession or thought leaders or whatnot? What do you think? 200 something, over 200. So out of the 200, is there a common theme that you see when you interview people that you're like, that's why they're successful? Or I see why they're killing it. What do you see? No ego. 
the ones that are most successful, if you ask them the question, are you the best? There's few ways to answer that question. And I don't ask anybody that, but the way that they are and the way that they talk about everything, you can tell how they would answer that question. You could say, yeah, I am the best. And then really you are like, no, you're not like, you're definitely not. And I would even try to find ways to knock that down. Those are the worst conversations. Those are the ones where people know everything and you can't tell them nothing. That used to be me for sure. They could be very successful. Typically they are, but they're victim of their own success. And that's where they hit the ceiling or that's diminishing returns after a certain point because they cannot empower or grow a team and grow things beyond them. Typically, I wouldn't interview the person that says, no, I'm not at all. Or I'm that person sometimes too. I think I'm all three of these. The person that says no doesn't even want to be on the show because they don't have anything that they could offer. But that's also the person that's probably not leading a team because they're not up for it. They're still working behind the scenes somewhere doing something. But that person there does have something to offer. They just don't think they do because they don't think anybody's ready for all that. That type of leader has to blossom or they have to experience something where they step in and they take the lead on something and then they feel fulfilled, whatever it is. It could be in life or it could be in work or in business. Are you the best? I'm trying to be. I'm working on it. The ones who always respond like that, and I got a lot of examples, but they're consistent about it too because they're always working toward the next thing or they know they can improve but they also know that they have the ability to be the best. So like humble, confident, something along those lines. It's no ego. They know they're not the best. So it's a humility, but it's not too humble, but it's not too certain either. It's not too confident. It's not balanced either because you're still trying and putting max effort in when it's necessary and trying to be the best or trying to be the best leader you can or the best anything. And in order to be the best, it takes a lot of hard work. So it's not about being the best. And that's the other way to answer it too. In a way, everybody can be the best version of them. They have to find what that is though. You can't get that advice from anybody. You have to find it. You have to find what you're meant to do. It was at that carbon event that I figured it out. It wasn't immediately following that person saying that to me, but it was then that I realized what I was put on this world to do. And it was just to have fun. It's bottom line. That's all I want to do. Why can't I bring that into everything I do? And I do already. I always would say, why is everybody so serious? Because they are in business, even in life, most of the time in life, everywhere I went, everybody's so serious. Got to follow the rules. We've got to do this. Accountants are very serious. I know. And I feel like since we're the same age, well, I'm two months ahead of you in age. You would rub that in. You would get your driver's license before me and everything. You could drink before me. So you would be buying my alcohol. Drinking way before we're allowed to be drinking. I'll tell you that. That's very true. We're rule breakers. I did a lot of things. Yeah, I'm proud of myself. I didn't even talk about my big rules that I've broken in my life on this episode. And I won't. Let's see. You were drug dealer, et cetera, back in the day. There you go. Yes. See, we had to finally bring it up. But those are the things that were like pivotal lessons in business for me because it's learning outside of the classroom. I was supposed to be learning in the classroom at that time in my life. And I learned nothing in the classroom. I didn't pay attention to anything. I still got good grades. I figured out how to do that, but I couldn't pay attention. I have a very short attention span for things, if you hadn't noticed. Like a goldfish. I'm like that too. I like couldn't pay attention in, in school, but I always got good grades. Just blessed to be able to understand stuff quickly. But I was always reading like a Stephen King novel or just doing my own thing. I hated school. 
I was always the last one at the party too, or one of the last ones, always having a conversation with everybody, talking to everybody there, or I could, or that wanted to, wherever situation, whether it was in the classroom or anywhere else. So I always got to know everybody and that, and I always was looking for a good time anyway. So it was just opportunity that led itself to, well, I can do this. This guy's doing it and he's making a ton of money. Now I could do that. And I'm just filling a role for somebody else. And everybody's going to be doing this anyway. I'm just fitting myself in there and I can profit off of it. And I could save money because then I wouldn't be spending any money on some things that I would be doing anyway. It was a terrible, terrible drug dealer. I got caught and I was not good at it at all. I made money. I made a lot of money and I was learning a lot of lessons in business. But the ultimate lesson I learned in life is certain consequences to rules. There's some rules that you shouldn't break because of the consequences. But that's what it is. And David Barrett said this on the episode that I recorded with him. His was one of the best. And I think he is one of the best leaders of anybody that I've interviewed. So check out that episode. It's our most listened to episode too. So I don't have to like really point to it. A lot of people have listened to it already. The Expensify founder, I call it the super app. We're going to re-release it on the vision series and the tech time. We're splitting it up. It's a long episode, but it's a really great conversation. He's one of those that is a really polarizing leader, a polarizing person. But he brings out the best in his people and he sets them up for success. And every person I met that works there is so passionate about their job and about the company, about Expensify. And you could say it's because of these lavish things, but that's also part of it. Like the Italy trip right now, they're in Bali. They're, they're at this conference too, but they're in Bali. I don't think there's anybody from their team that's here because they're all there, but they work out of there for a month out of the year. That's work for them. It's a different place every year, but for a month out of the year. They're all at some resort that they rented out. Yeah, it's extravagant, but he was doing stuff like that early on in the days of the company too. But he was doing it all for the greater purpose of the greater vision. And he empowered people. One of the questions that my co-host on that episode, Nicole McKenzie, asked him, she said, how do you contain that ambition with your employees? Aren't you afraid that they're going to leave and go? And it was a great question because he says, sometimes you can't, you don't know. But if you could align their ultimate vision and goal and things that they want to do in life with the company, then everybody wins. It's a great question for an interview because what you're asking is, what would you do if you had unlimited money? Like lottery type question. What would you do with all that money? And they get some of the most basic answers. Most of the time people say basic answers, things that you're supposed to say. But the people that come with an immediate creative response and detailed and they start talking about something, and this is what I would do, it's always attached to a greater purpose. It's always attached to something bigger than them that they want to work toward and that they want to do. How can Expensify help them do that? And at the same time, they help Expensify. So that's what you can do at your business on a smaller level. And it, it doesn't have to be as grand or as big as the stuff that they do, but it's all part of that bigger picture and that bigger drive because everybody needs a North Star or something to guide them. Awesome advice. I love that. Yeah, I'll have to go check out that episode for sure. So we're coming up to the top of the hour and I know you've got conference stuff you probably need to do. I know you try to stay off social because it can get a little too intense, but what is your platform of choice? No, you can find me on the socials. I try to go on there now. I don't want to explain why or how because I'm trying to navigate it better. I compare myself to other people when I'm on the socials. I don't like it. It's also a time suck. It takes so much time. But I am on the social. You use Scott Scarano at any of them. You can probably find Scotty OKR Scarano too. Is LinkedIn your preferred? Yeah, LinkedIn's great. LinkedIn, I go on Twitter sometimes too, or X. I think LinkedIn now is Scotty OKR Scarano. I've changed it there too. 
So that's the best way to see what's going on, see what's up with you. And yeah, if you want to connect, if you listen to this and you want to say what's up, probably LinkedIn's the best because you can message me there. Thank you so much for your time. This was really fun. I'm excited to go listen to that podcast episode now and know that Scott has accounting high and all these accounting lows. Oh, dope. That was a good one. You could call that the title of this episode, The Accounting Highs and Lows. Nice. Yeah, this is super fun. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Dope. Thanks, Jackie. This episode of the Concierge CPA was brought to you by Jordan Sublet at Cloud Accounting Staffing. Visit cloudaccountantstaffing.com and hire CPAs in the Philippines. for listening to the concierge cpa hosted by tax plan iq we believe that every person has a unique message that can positively impact the world if you are a successful accounting firm owner or influencer who would like to be on this program please visit jackiemeyercpa.com j-a-c-k-i-e-m-e-y-e-r cpa.com to apply please share this on social media and rate us so we can continue our good work Join our Facebook group called Accounting Firm Influencers or connect with me on most platforms under Jackie Meyer CPA. Thanks for being accountable to transforming our industry today.